and welcome once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. It is time for our monthly review show. Apologies in advance, we have had a little hiatus the last few weeks. We even missed out on a previews podcast for the first time in years, I would say. Uh, just one thing or another, the busy festive period and busy work commitments, you know, back and forth from the two of us. So, your host is always Alan for this reviews podcast, owner of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. And I'm joined as always by Keith. Good evening, Mr. Miller. How are you? I am good. It's bloody freezing, isn't it? It is. It's a good night to be wrapped up in the house, uh, not being worried about going outside and uh, talk about some comics to keep you warm. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's really got, it's really got Baltic. And this is the, I mean, this is the time of year in Northern Ireland where, you know, you get up in the morning, you, you open your curtains and your blinds and it's probably hardly worth your while because it's dark again before you look around. Um, yeah. So uh, I had that experience today. It's, I suppose we're getting we're getting very very close to the shortest day, uh, and to the festive season. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I, I tend to go into the store maybe an hour in advance of opening. I've always a few bits and pieces to do. So it's dark when you go in. It's dark when you go home. It's like an Orwellian uh, nightmare, to say the least. But <laughs> luckily, the store itself is a beacon of joy and hope uh, the, to Indeed. people. So you know, the darkness doesn't infiltrate it too much. But, but yeah, no, with regards to the store, I mean, I've, I've, I've had a bit of a busy week, as I say, and uh, one thing or another. But one of the big things is that I've been working my butt off to try and make that unit warmer you know i'm i'm not naive you know we're five and a half years in now i dread the festive period every year for different reasons than yourself uh i dread the festive period every year because the, the unit gets so cold and we're all about community we're all about hanging out and chatting and all the rest but i'm well aware it's not comfortable to do so if it's so cold but i've been uh painting the unit and like looking out for little holes and stuff like that it's just it's just a badly built building to be honest but i found a couple of things around the window today that is letting in a lot of cold air uh, i'm going oh, to be going right. down with the mastic guns soon with and sealing that up so i have a feeling i might be able to get it a little more comfortable which can only be a good thing moving forward it'd be nice to be able to take your coat off it would be you know your coat and your scarf and your gloves yeah, and your hat yeah, yeah, and exactly you yeah. know one of the yeah. 20 layers you're wearing to sit there uh-huh. so uh yeah no we've been working hard on that for a start Unfortunately, there was the other bad scenario. I'll just throw it out quickly about uh, just in case anybody's got in touch with us through Facebook in the last few days. Uh, my personal account was hacked, unfortunately. Uh, absolute nightmare because I'm the only admin to uh, get onto the business Facebook page. So you may have messaged us in the last few days. I'm not ignoring you. I just don't have access. So apologies for that. I'm working to try and get access back to it. It could result in a brand new page being set up. I'm hold, trying to hold off for a few days and, and sort this and see because there's a lot of work spent into that page. But uh, yeah, just to be wary for any listeners who have tried to get in touch with uh, the Facebook page in the last couple of days, I just have not had access and it's been a blooming nightmare. I even have a brand new Facebook page and I have about 15 friends on it. I thought I was more popular than that, but clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've friended your new account yet. Yeah, um, we couldn't chat in Messenger otherwise. Oh, that's true. Yeah, most of the time. That's the other time. thing. Uh, I lost all my Messenger conversations and the wrestling chat I was part of and the comic book chat I was part of and I had to get reinserted into all these things. But uh, yeah, the the whole social media has over us, you know, for better or for worse. Um, I wonder. Uh, I wonder if any of our listeners have any insight into into uh, how you, the best way to to reclaim an orphaned an orphaned facebook page if you're uh if your account is hacked well um, if you have that information feel free to uh 
find us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com and let me know or drop us a line on Twitter or something. But yeah, it's just it's a little frustrating this time of year because it's it's busy enough with big deliveries and I have two big merchandise deliveries finally coming next Monday that I ordered back in November. Uh, I've got some postage details for that. So it's it's a busy enough period without that extra frustration but the twitter and instagram accounts are absolutely fine so you can you can follow us on there and all the information weekly releases and all that kind of stuff will be on there uh i'll just throw out the x uh the christmas i was about to say xmas there because keith has written xmas on our notes the christmas opening hours the christmas opening hours so we're open sundays just just for december so it's really only this coming sunday which is the 18th because obviously the 25th is Christmas Day, the 1st of January will be New Year's Day, so we are open this Sunday, 1 to 5, and then we're open every other day as normal, 10 to 5. I think we're open on Christmas Eve as normal, uh, which is a Saturday, as I say, and then, yeah, we'll be closed Christmas Day, we'll be closed Boxing Day, and reopen on the 27th, and I do know that that week the delivery is delayed until at least the 29th because of, you know, Christmas delivery times and so forth. So yeah, there's always a lot to deal with this time of year outside of the joy of this time of year. Uh, so, but yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Good, good. Yeah, it's uh, it's steady enough. Uh, this is my this was my last day at uh, at work. Uh, my holidays were a wee bit backloaded in the year this year because it's been so busy. Uh, so I am now done with work until the third of January, which is great nice. news. See, I, I like to think of that. That's karma for you because. You had actually held over a lot of your holidays in advance of, you know, our son Alfie being born because you were going to watch the store and you were happy to do it for a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. And then around that time we hired Chris and you were like, oh, yeah, I don't need to take that time off now. <laughs> so I like to think this is karma for your, your selfless deeds at that time that when you get to the end of the year, you're just like, I'll just take a wee three weeks off here. This this will be nice. Yeah, that's it is nice. It is nice. I mean, Christmas holidays are funny because... You do find yourself running from pillar to post trying to meet people and trying to satisfy family members and all of that uh, mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but yeah, hopefully get a wee bit of a wee bit of a chill out. Maybe get a wee bit of a wee bit of a drink with yourself and uh, and a few other heads from the store and uh, and catch up with a few friends. And then I think we're going to head up to the north coast next week, uh, see my folks, and then have a wee Christmas of our own. And then uh, Bruno will head down south and I'll head back up north again. So. Uh, yeah, should be. Sounds like a plan. All family related for me. I mean, Christmas Day will be uh, myself, uh, brother, sister, all the partners, all the kids. You're probably talking a house of about 16 to 17. Only getting bigger this year, of course, as uh, Alfie gets to enjoy his first Christmas this year as well. So, <laughs> not of a bloody clue. He'll not remember a thing, but don't worry, we'll take plenty of embarrassing photos for him. I mean, that, that child has, you know, achieved more in, you know, five months and. And in terms of meeting comic book heroes of mine that I have done in nearly 40 years, you know, he, he's <laughs> met them all already, you know. He won't remember a thing about them, but he has plenty of signed stuff to them, uh, uh, which yeah, is nice. Stuff. So, uh, but yeah, no Christmas plans for us to say we'll, we'll be working away and then uh, we will be getting away in January more to get over to England to see Vicky's family and stuff like that, uh, celebrate. 40th birthdays, which we'll not talk about. Uh, that's, that's right, yes. We don't have to talk too much about that. But uh, but no, yeah, it's 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 been a good time of year. I mean, the store's been nice and busy. Plenty of new faces as always, which is good. As I say, my only frustration is waiting on this merchandise delivery because it's action figures and statues and a few other bits and pieces. But they will be in for the last week before opening for Christmas, so it's not quite too bad. But very very good. And we have one more one more. We had new comic book day yesterday. I haven't been in to pick up my stuff yet. 
And then we've got one more before... There will be one more before Christmas. So the one this week was a relatively big one because it was a double-shipped Marvel week because there was no Marvel titles last week. Mm. There's some big titles due next week, which is our last delivery, which should come as normal. Then there will be a delivery between Christmas and New Year, and then we're in the 2023, which is crazy in itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there'll be new previews books over Christmas, I think, as well. So Keith and I'll make sure we get a previews one done this time. As I say, just Definitely. work commitments and different things for us both just just put us out of uh, operation. But that's okay because we're going to make up for it over the next hour or so with uh, plenty of positive words about the best titles around. Yes. But, uh, um, I've got, uh, yeah, for the first time in history, actually, Alan, uh, my entire collection, all of my single issues are organized and boxed. Organized and boxed uh, and read. You're up to yes. date with your pulls and everything. Yeah, that's well, great. apart from this week's, but yeah, apart from this week's, yeah. There. So, uh, yeah, but it's, it's great. I mean, there's no no issues lying around anywhere. They're just they're all, all, all they're all in the in the system. Makes uh, quite the pretty, difference. Uh, it's pretty cool, I have to say. It's, yeah. it's a good feeling. Oh, nicely done. But uh, but yeah, as I say, we're going to be reviewing comics here anyway. We're going to be looking over the month of November. But before we jump into that, I think it's maybe worth having a, a quick discussion about the the big news that broke this morning. Uh, with regards to the the DC universe, it has sparked plenty of debate, plenty of outrage, of course, from Snyder fans. Uh, plenty of uh, discussion points, as I say, and that is, you know, a couple of months back, Henry Cavill was announced as coming back as Superman. Uh, of course, was in Superman and Man of Steel, Justice League, uh, Batman v Superman, and and the Snyder Cut. But he had a cameo on Black Adam. I'm sure I can spoil that at this point. Black Adam, which by the way, is a lot of fun. Not much yeah, more than that. Not, not a bad movie. I watched, a lot it, of fun. I watched it. I watched it the weekend past, and uh, it is a lot of fun. It sort of devolves into like twenty or thirty minutes of CGI madness, where the only real things are uh, are, are the Rock's head and uh, and Pierce Brosnan's head. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it was it was pretty. It was fun. It was it, good fun. It's yeah. set in nicely with the Shazam verses, as they say. But the problem is, is that obviously the Rock who plays Shazam. Uh, sorry, not play Shazam, beg your pardon, plays Black Adam. Uh, the Rock has a lot of power in Hollywood, and apparently he went above the higher-ups, and went the other higher-ups, got Henry Cavill this cameo with the whole idea of bringing him back as Superman. Now, there's been a whole sea change at DC Films. It's now being called the DC Universe, uh, not the DC Extended Universe anymore, uh, through oh, Warner Brothers. I have heard that. Yeah, with, uh, with James Gunn being brought in. And James Gunn, of course, we're big fans of, done amazing work with Marvel through Guardians of the Galaxy and so forth. Did great stuff with the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker for DC, uh, but very much a geek at heart. And therefore, he's been brought in um, pretty much to shepherd in the, the Kevin Feige role. Now, I spoke to someone about this the other day. I always found the timing of the Cavill announcement a bit weird because whether he likes it or not, he's forever going to be associated with the Snyderverse. So if you're going to try and set up this whole new clean slate of, right, we're, we're, we're going right back to the start with this. We're going to wipe it clean. You need to recast all these characters. Otherwise, people are going to think, is this linked to the last ones? People are very easily confused, I find, in mass market media. So you've got to simplify things as much as possible. So I personally have no problem with Cavill not coming back. Mm. But I don't think they ever should announce have announced that he was. But I think he was just a victim of timing because the sort of changeover hadn't quite happened at that point. 
And uh, but no, I'm I'm excited to see what James Gunn and the rest of them do with it. You know, they're they're very transparent with fans on Twitter. They're answering questions. They're asking for suggestions of characters people want to see. They're well versed in this stuff themselves. He of course has fulfilled all his commitments with Marvel, finishing up Guardians of Galaxy three and the Christmas special, which I haven't watched yet. I'm going to watch that on nope, Christmas Eve. No, I haven't Eve. watched it myself. No, nope. that's a Christmas Eve watch for me, which looks a lot of fun. Actually, yep. So. Yeah, I think it's 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 going to be a good time moving forward. And but you know, I say this all the time to people: you got to remember, this is not DC making these decisions. This is Warner Brothers making these decisions. I think it's actually a very important distinction to make. You know, Marvel were smart. Marvel set up Marvel Studios. Ultimately, of course, they got purchased by Disney and so forth. But they're still Marvel Studios. They make the decisions. Uh, but they gained that amount of power because of how well they set it all up. DC has a lot of catching up to do. Of course, they do. Uh, there's been great movies and great TV shows along the way, but nothing as coherent as the 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 MCU has been. So, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I mean, what what are your thoughts on Cavill not coming back? Yeah, I mean, I I like I like Henry Cavill as an actor. I liked him in the role. Um, I didn't necessarily like what they did with him in the role. Um, you know, short of maybe Man of Steel. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's. You know they they've been they've been talking about wiping the slate clean for uh, for so long. They've still got some hangers on, uh, you know, but they really need to do it. And the 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 elements of the internet that are blowing up are are either rightly, I suppose, Henry Cavill fans who liked him in the role, but there's also that that sort of toxic element of the of DC fandom that that are now sort of decrying uh, James Gunn despite the fact, I mean, he's probably the best thing to have happened to the DC movie universe in, in forever. Uh, they're now saying, oh, he's betrayed us and we'll never, we'll never watch what he does, you know. And Such so, a divided <laughs> fan base at times, isn't it? Absolutely hilarious, you know. And I mean, you have to understand as well and in, in doing what he's doing, you know, he's also orphaning some of the best things about the DC universe, which is the things he did, Suicide Squad and 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 Peacemaker, which are connected to that melee of stuff through through cameos, because there were there were um Justice League cameos at the end of at the end of Peacemaker, weren't there? Yeah. That's it. Um, you had obviously Superman well, a faceless Superman show up. Uh but you had your favourite Ezra Miller show up and uh was it Jason Momoa was the other one? Was Aquaman? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, so. But um, this is the thing. I, I I can't believe we're still talking about Snyder stuff at this point. Even I've got bored of it, and that says it all. But I said this. I was in store today chatting with Chris about it. Cause Chris is like a diehard Snyder fan. And I said, to be honest, he kind of lost me at the end of the Snyder cut because he had an opportunity. He had budget and four hours of playtime to give a satisfying conclusion to what he wanted to achieve. But instead decided to film a five-minute teaser reel of a universe of what could be, knowing that his fans would jump behind that and say, oh, he's never been given the chance to finish this. And he kind of lost me a wee bit with that. I think he should have known, right, I've been lucky enough to be given this chance to do this four-hour cut. The fans have asked for it. Let's give them a satisfying conclusion. And he unfortunately appealed to his fan base for, as you say, for this exact thing, where they're like, oh, he never got to finish it off and he's getting rid of Cavill and he's doing this. It's like... Jeez, can the guy get his feet on the table before you start criticizing him, please? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly. hard work being but, a comic fan sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it is. Um, but uh, in other news, I also I got around to watching Top Gun Maverick, which I quite enjoyed. 
A big uh, time. It's one of your movie of the year. Big... Movie of the year. Don't care anybody uh, says. Yeah, I mean, was for, yeah, for a, for a Top Gun fan, it would be uh, for sure. Uh, it was it was a good show. It was a good show. Uh, Not so much it. just a Top Gun fan. I just, you know, I I always say this as well as someone who owns a comic book store, which is always ironic to me. But sometimes it's nice to watch big budget movie making that is not superhero that's related. not superheroes absolutely you know, yeah it was and, i mean the story i think would have a fair bit to new hope you know, oh without a doubt called, i pointed out to steve Womp Rat. i still i uh pointed out to steve the other day about the uh the run along the canyons was basically the trench run and the fact that the targeting system didn't work and they had to do it on pure instinct and you know i kept <laughs> saying all these things and seems like i never thought about that <laughs> <laughs> but it was presented it was presented in an endearing heroic and original enough way but i i i i mean did you see it just at home yes i did yeah i mean yeah. that that in itself is a, is a bit of a shame simply because the flying sequences were ridiculously incredible and very yeah. um very all-encompassing and when you see it on a big screen i was fortunate enough to see it in the imax twice it genuinely yep. does take your breath away watching it so oh, see what you did there as well you did you did uh-huh. and um, and i think yeah, you liked I mean, it as well because tom cruise was age appropriate yes tom cruise was age appropriate instead of trying to play younger than he is uh <laughs> which was nice he was kind of the you know seen as by the younger ones as the, the, old the washed out old timer you know which was which was cool um I mean, a lot of it was predictable, but in its in its predictability, it made the surprising parts more surprising. Yeah, uh, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great, good good looking movie, um, and uh, I did I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Excellent, excellent. You know, I was worried we were going to have a on air scuffle if you were saying <laughs> it was terrible. So obviously, I'd only have an on air scuffle with you, not a real life one. I know would, I know who would win that. <laughs> one. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm I am hoping to get to the cinema to see Avatar. I. I really enjoyed the first one. Again, mm. I suppose similar to what you just said about, in, in your opinion, for Top Gun, where there's predictability to it, but it's about the visuals in the world. And I kind of get the feeling Avatar, you need to see it on a big screen. So even though I haven't got to see I'd Black Panther so, yeah. thus far, although it, let's be honest, it's going to be at Disney Plus within a week or two probably, uh, I will get to see that. But I kind of do want to see Avatar. So we'll, we'll see. I think Avatar will be a big screen job for sure. And, uh, you know, you think you would learn by now uh, that you don't, you know, whenever, whenever James Cameron releases a movie, it tends to become the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, it's, it's People probably People have been down Cameron since Titanic in 98, probably even earlier than that, since T2 uh-huh. in 91. You don't, don't, uh, don't doubt the self-styled king of the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so be some, some, yeah, some good stuff. Looking forward to, to, to watching some. Some movies over Christmas as well. Uh, when I got home, my dad's always looking to watch something, so we'll, we'll find something to watch, I'm sure. Uh, we uh, are on to the newest season of Cobra Kai, uh, finally. Um, enjoying that. Uh, uh, it's just it's fantastic stuff. There was another appearance by a character I was sort of hoping and expecting to see uh, in that season, so that was that was good. More more of the more of the Cobra Kai awesomeness that we've come to expect um, was very good. Finished The Walking Dead, which finished on a, on a really good high. Um, I really enjoyed that. Eleven seasons in. Um, I mean, a show with eleven seasons, you're bound to have some, some ups and downs. Uh, we know it had that, but overall, that was just a really strong show, really strong show. So, um, and there was a there was some some good wee moments in the last few episodes. There was uh, at one stage, one of the kids was reading an Invincible comic. Uh, different wee nods like that. Um, watched the first couple of episodes of a show called 1889, which is by the same team that uh, that brought Dark 
uh, to Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of interesting. Set set in a steamship, a bit creepy. I've uh, been watching, been watching that. So yeah, some some good stuff on at the minute. Yeah, we're very much on our Sopranos watch through, and we're just towards the end of season two, so you can keep up with uh, our progress on that. We'll let you know where we are every time we record. But right. yeah, we uh, we're about um, as I say, we're three quarters away through season two. Vicky's never yeah. seen it before, so I would use any excuse to watch The Sopranos again. So yeah, and I'm uh, I'm watching up. through Deep Space Nine again. We just hit season four, which is when our I guess it really it really kicks off the Dominion War and the the Cardassians and the Klingons come into it and Worf becomes a a main character in the show. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's 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 pretty cool show, cool show. I'm really coming to appreciate Captain Cisco again. Uh, and also, did you ever watch? It was one that flew under my radar, but I was looking for a for something for the to, to occupy the role that uh, that the Office US mm-hmm. left uh, whenever I stopped watching it. Have you ever watched Trailer Park Boys? Canadian show? No, I know of it, but I've never watched it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's it's like twelve seasons and a whole bunch of movies. <laughs> I'm just you know the movies are all like forty five minutes or whatever. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the 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 exploits of Julian and Ricky and Bubbles uh, on Sunnyvale Trailer Park uh, and their their criminal ways. It's it's very very funny. Yeah, I know what you mean about that background show. We tend to finish the American Office rewatch, and then when we finish that, we start Brooklyn Nine Nine. And then we finish Brooklyn Nine Nine, and then we restart the American Office, <laughs> and it's a uh, vicious circle after that. I can tell you. So, yes. But, yeah. Well, shall we? Shall we chat some comics? I think we can do that. I mean, we have the month of November. We're going to be chatting about here. Plenty of good stuff to come out of that. It was a five-week release month. Although we've just picked four titles from the month. I mean, the last week was a very, very quiet week. Although, admittedly, one of my picks do come from that week. And uh, therefore, we thought we'd just, we'll pick four here. Um, I think we've got a really good spread here with a nice mix of DC, Marvel, and indie stuff. But that shouldn't be too surprising because for the amount, for the uh, month of November, my total was 108 issues. Just let that sink in. In a month, 108 issues. Uh, 39 of those were DC, 27 of those were Marvel, and indie was my just about sneaky winner there with 42. Uh, what about yourself? What were your totals? I'm just two behind you with 106. That do you know what that means? I mean, that's that means on average we're consuming more than a thousand comics a year, and that's not even including graphic novels, yeah, like OGNs or compendiums or whatever. But yeah, it's it's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on a five week month, and I'm certainly I've certainly been been cutting down uh, my pull list a wee bit, as you as you well know. Um, but the the fear of missing out is real. But uh, yeah. 106 is my total, uh, 25 of those were DC, 47 were Marvel, and 34 were indie. Yeah, as I say, big tools. I mean, I would imagine a lot of your Marvel stuff there comes from, you're obviously heavily invested in the X-Universe, for example. Mm-hmm. There's a lot yep. of individual titles there. You've got Jason Aaron and his winding down his Avengers stuff, which there's a few linked titles to as well. But I mean, there, there's, there's great stuff being released from all three well, I say all three companies, there's more than three, but all three mm-hmm. sort of subsets, you know, DC, Marvel, and then the indie stuff, your image, your boom, your dark horse, dynamite, et cetera. But uh, when it comes to November, as I say, there were a couple that really stood out for me. There's one that arguably I think is one of the best single issues of the year, which Marvel produced and a real surprise to me because it's, it's a title that I have no real affinity to. Uh, I thought that there was a one shot from DC that was, you know, 
it was incredible. I think it's the best of it so far in terms of the the individual subset of comics it represents. There was an annual sneaked its way in here because we don't talk about that title enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, another one, the, the my last pick was one that surprised you. You said it was a little bit of a left field choice. One of the reasons I wanted to do it, when it comes to our picks of the week or picks of the month or whatever way you want to style it, we nearly always pick number ones. Uh, and I think sometimes it's nice to shed light on a series that's doing great work. And the issue I chose is the start of a new story arc. So the first trade's available. So if you want to get into it, so when, I, when I'm going to be reviewing that, I'm going to be talking about the run so far as much as that individual issue as well. So I, I just think it's important to spotlight some of those titles just in case people come to them late. I mean, I see you've got yeah. a couple of titles here as well that are not just number ones in it. And I think that's important because yeah. it's so easy to just pick number ones every time because number ones always swing for the fences and they should be great because they're trying to hook you for the rest of the story. So, uh, yeah, some, but some great yeah, stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I mean, it's, it's, if that, if that story can, can, you've got that number one hook, but if it, if it maintains that quality throughout, uh, you know, as I think the two that I've chosen, uh, do. And, uh, one of those I think is probably, could probably be considered a jumping on point as well. So, um, but yeah, absolutely. Shall we? Shall we get into it? Do you want to? Do you want to go first with your left field choice? Yeah, I can kick things off, and it's a left field choice, and it's a Marvel choice as well. So it's Punisher number seven. So this is written by Jason Aaron. We were just talking, of course, about his his Avengers work and so forth coming to is being wound down at the moment. What's cool about this series in general, Punisher? There's two artists on every issue, so it's always an oversized issue as well. It's one of the few Marvel titles that's a five dollar issue as opposed to a four dollar issue. That's because there's extra content. So you've just now writing all of it, but you've got Jesus Says doing the art for the present uh, set story. And you've got Paul Azaketa, who was one of the co-creators of Outcast, Robert Kirkman, doing the past story. And as I say, I wanted to talk about this a little bit because, you know, the Punisher came back after a bit of a hiatus. You know, there was a bit of controversy around the character, the usage of the skull, police brutality and, and different things in the States. And when this was coming back to Marvel, there was actually plenty of people who didn't like the direction they were taking the character, even before they picked up an issue. You know, the guns were gone, replaced by a sword, as if a sword's any less violent, admittedly. Uh, You know, the iconic Punisher skull was redesigned and replaced. You know, his mission to just wipe the scum off the streets of New York had been replaced by a more worldwide cause. And for all intents and purposes, he, he basically has become an assassin whose targets are fed to him. So... But what's interesting about this, you know, you think why would Frank even consider being a tool of chaos and destruction for someone else? You know, he's he's the the he's he's a loner, simple as that. He hates working with other people. But they're able to deliver something to him he's always wanted. More time with his wife, who of course was slain with his with his kids at the beginning of his journey to becoming the Punisher. And what's interesting about this, I think, is it throws up plenty of questions about Frank's state of mind in this series. You know, he for all his killing, he's sort of a rational black and white kind of guy. You know, he knows that his wife is dead, but he's willing to play along with this charade in a way to sort of dissuade his guilt over feeling to protect her and their children. You know, he, he even in this role, he gets to indulge in extreme violence and destruction, which has always been his modus operandi. You know, he can take out his rage and pain against the faceless hordes. But, but what's interesting here is they're exploring the idea of was he the Punisher in mind? even before his family's untimely demise, you know, has his predilection for violence always been there? This sort of misguided sense of using violence to protect those who can't protect themselves. And 
and that's what's really interesting about this series. That's what Jason Aaron has been doing throughout the run so far, choosing to split it over those two time frames with that different artist. So, as I say, with Paul Azaketa doing the, the stuff back when he's a kid, Jesus says doing the, the more action-heavy, dynamic sort of side of the of the story. But the dual exploration of Frank, I think, has been awesome the whole way through the series. And I wanted to showcase issue 7, A, because it's the start of a new story arc, but also I think it might be the best so far in terms of the exploration of Frank's past. You know, in the in the present, you know, Frank's on a collision course with Daredevil, so that's exciting stuff on its own, you know. Any interactions over the years between Daredevil and Punisher are always great. And there is some fantastic action in this issue, but for me, the guts of the issue lie with Frank when he returns from war. You know, his kids are scared of him. He can't sleep in a normal bed, preferring a tent outside. He doesn't know how to be intimate with his wife. He He basically just feels like he's come back from the war broken, like he misses that violence in his life. But what's cool is the the over the course of the issue, those protective instincts kick in and he's able to find peace as the children's guardian and protector as much as anything else. But this actually makes knowing that he ultimately fails them even more heartbreaking, to be honest. But yeah, I I think this Punisher series has been great. The, the series before was good as well. Matthew Rosenberg did, I think, 15 to 18 issues, which was, which was really good. But I think this is arguably the best Punisher's been since the Garth Ennis days. As I say, the first trade came out about two weeks ago or so. And if you even have a passing interest in the character, I think this should be deemed absolutely essential. Um, I'm in this for the long haul, and I really hope Jason Aaron is as well. Don't don't pull the Southern Bastards on me, is all I'm saying. <laughs> now what if he was going off Punisher to go back to Southern Bastards? Oh, oh I tell you. you know, and there's, I suppose there is a lot of crossover between this and Southern Bastards. Hmm. You know, uh, military, military individuals going on a revenge uh, spree sort of thing. But... Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed this issue. I think it was maybe the strongest issue of the series so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, it's interesting because I'm trying to figure out if Jason Aaron's retconning the Punisher or not. Yeah. Um, because yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really. What he's doing doesn't necessarily line up with with what we know about the Punisher. You know that. You know that Frank was a you know was a marine who had come back who you know loved his his wife and his kids. He was he was you know more maybe more fun loving you know mm-hmm. and then you know this this thing happened this you know his 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 family were accidentally killed by by the mob or were you know were killed in a crossfire with the mob and 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 he became the Punisher using his military skills as marines training to to go on a, a war against crime yeah. Um, you know, but you know this 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 idea that you know the hand has always been interwoven through Frank's history, and you know he, he, this this Frank is has been like disconnected and sort of murderous, psychotic since he was a child. You know, and he, he's not. He, I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not criticizing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just, I'm just wondering if it's a, if it's actually quite a large retcon to to Punisher's history. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I I, I like to think it adds nuance to it rather than Maybe, necessarily yeah, yeah. retconning. But I just always like the idea that this idea has always been ingrained in him. That like in Frank's own mind, as the Punisher, he's always standing up for the little guy who can't protect himself. 
he just does it in such a ridiculously over-the-top way. And even as a kid, he does it. Like, there was a couple issues, you know, three or four issues into it where he's protecting people even when he was a kid. And his, and he comes up with some pretty dark plans in his neighborhood and stuff like that that almost make him come across as, like, Damien from The Omen or something like that. Um, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I, 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 think I, this series makes him, I think this series makes him less heroic. Yes. Which yeah, I think is yeah, interesting. Yeah. But I think by the end of it, you know, he'll go on this journey that will lead him more to the Punisher. We sort of know if that's mm. true. But then again, as you say, it could be a, a gentle recon, perhaps. Yeah, it could be. I mean, maybe the character needed it. But I mean, I, I, I think we're seeing, I mean, I, I think I mentioned a few months ago that I could see this, this, uh, them driving at this, this conflict between Matt and Frank uh, very early on, you know, with, with Electra and Matt taking over the uh, control of, uh, was it Fist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, and all of that. This was this was this was bound to happen, and I think it's going to be a much bigger thing. I think there's there's probably something big coming this summer uh, between Daredevil and and the Punisher. But you know the 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 hand have have brought Maria back from the dead. She can't leave the compound. There, whenever whenever Frank is in the compound, and then his connection to the hand. You know that I I wouldn't be surprised if we find that. The hand were manipulating Frank's memories, and and what we're seeing mm-hmm. is is a manipulated version of Frank's memories in order to tie him closer to the hand. Yeah, uh, you know all of this the stuff weaving throughout his his childhood and so forth. But uh, yeah, it's really it's really cool. Um, it's really cool stuff. I'm really enjoying it. I, I you know, the reasons for for needing to change the way the Punisher was viewed after all of the racist stuff and the, the cop the racist cop stuff in, in America um and all of that sort of stuff I, I don't disagree with. Yeah. Uh, no no better man to do it and the you know the intelligence of Jason Arnes writing it is is just fantastic. Yeah. Um I, I never had the I never had any problem with them changing the changing the logo uh, especially whenever there's such a cool story and a cool reason behind it. Yeah. You know? Uh, but I think yeah, I, I'm really really enjoying it, really enjoying it. And as you say, yeah, definitely worth worth picking up if you're in any way interested in the Punisher. And if you're one of those people who's kind of going, but it's not my Punisher, you know, well, you're you don't know what you're missing because this this particular Punisher is more bloody violent than any other Punisher I think we've ever seen this side of Garth Ennis. Yeah, that's the thing. As I say, I don't understand the rationale to a degree of. You know, a sword being less violent than a gun, but uh, if anything, it's more violent because it's even more up close and personal. Uh, oh man, I mean, I, I I would say that if uh, if wars were still fought with swords uh, rather than guns, there'd be a hell of a lot less wars. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, as you said, it's it's great at the moment as well because obviously we're loving the Daredevil run by Chip Zdarsky as well, and the crossover of these two titles and two writers very much the top of their game. Jason Aaron and Chip Zdarsky is just making this little corner of the Marvel Universe at the moment just an absolute joy. So, so yeah, so that was my uh, first pick for the month of November, Punisher number seven. Uh, what about yourself? What is your first pick to kick things off? Uh, my first pick is also, I suppose, a wee bit uh, left to center because it's from Dynamite, um, which is not a, a corner of the, the comics publishing universe we venture into very often ourselves. But it's Lord of the Jungle number one, um, Lord of the Jungle, obviously being uh, Tarzan, uh, written by Dan Jurgens, who needs no introduction in this parish. Uh, the artist is Benito Gallego, who is a Spanish artist, and uh, he's worked with 
sort of other top talent in the medium, um, Sal Buscema and uh, DC Comics, Brian Azzarello, uh, those sort of done various, you know, illustration work across trading cards for Marvel characters and uh, and all of that sort of stuff, uh, as well as illustrations for um, for 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 novel series and such. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tarzan as a hero, Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, has been around for God, best part of a hundred years, I suppose now. Um, but this is the this is the first series in a little while. Um, there was a Tarzan series whenever I was a kid, and I was always sort of, I was always taken a wee bit with the character and. You know, I'm I've got a wee bit of a weakness for those sorts of, those sorts of um, antique sort of or not, you know, those sorts of heroes. You know, the the shadow and the rocketeer and uh, heroes of that ilk, uh, the Phantom. So uh, so this one I think falls under that. Um, initially, I just asked you to to pull me the first issue, but uh, I think we've spoken since, and uh, and this is one that I want in my pull list for for a little bit longer. Um, so the story. There, there are two strong elements in that first issue, and those elements are the origin story of of, of Tarzan and the art by uh, by the previously mentioned uh, Benito Gallego. It's it's sometimes with any story uh, a good idea to start from the beginning, and and Dan Jurgens does that because this Lord of the Jungle number one, which begins a new era for Tarzan, set in the nineteen fifties. It starts with an urgent situation, forcing the adult Tarzan to seek out an old friend. Uh, but in addition, there's a reasonably faithful retelling of the Tarzan origin story, uh, which I think uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs fans will be very happy with. Um, Dan Jurgens does great work by, you know, spending the majority of the issue retelling a faithful version of the or the origin story, uh, which, in a nutshell, is about a boy raised among apes in the jungle. Uh, all the story beats from the original story are present. The classic characters are all sort of given their names and given a moment to establish how important they are, both the, the human characters and the, the ape characters. And uh, Tarzan's rise to become Lord of the Jungle is given sort of all the weight and all the sort of reverence that you'd expect for for a character who maybe while not well known in our you know world of superhero movies is a is a very famous and established core character um i think i think dan jurgens could could have could have chosen a different way could have gone a different different direction to to introduce tarzan to new readers uh, but whenever he chose a faithful retelling he establishes the character perfectly uh, as well as introducing a new adventure to give new readers a solid foundation and and also to give readers who are familiar with Tarzan, I think, a confidence that has everybody at the same starting line, and and as well as that gives sort of respect to the to the source material. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could see the retreading of, of familiar ground in the first issue as, as lazy, but I, I just don't I don't see it that way. Um, Story wise, we begin with uh, with an older gentleman. It's the it's the nineteen fifties, an older man with sort of a fairly unkempt hair. He's booked passage in a small boat, and the, the folks in charge of the boat they know the man's wealthy. He's standing alone in the deck of the ship, headed for an undisclosed location on a dark and stormy night. And we we later learn that the 
that man is an older yet still formidable Tarzan. The story's tied up in antiquity. We flash back to years earlier as the comic recounts Tarzan's birth to uh, Lord John Clayton and his wife Alice after they're stranded by mutineers off the African coast. A wealthy couple stranded in the jungle. She's pregnant. They do their best to get by. Things don't work out the way they'd hoped. The son, uh, you know, the parents, the parents die and the son of the couple is taken off and raised, uh, raised by apes. And as the years pass, Tarzan, you know, becomes part of that ape family using his human brain to figure out ways to compensate for his physical shortcomings, you know, relative to his ape family. And, uh, you know, we conclude the issue realizing with, with Tarzan's realization that, you know, of his human heritage and, and a visit to an old friend. I mean, art-wise, as I said, it was one of the standouts of the, the first issue. It's really fantastic uh, work by uh, Benito Gallego. Um, really heavy shadowing, like uh, copious hatching lines, which sort of pay homage, I think, to the likes of uh, of Joe Kubert's Tarzan in a real um, respectful and beautiful way. Tarzan himself is really, you know, he's really powerful, really macho. Uh, you know, his, his, his fights with both humans and apes are really well choreographed and really brilliant to look at. And uh, there's some great, some great mood uh, that's really, really pushed. And in every, in every way, it nearly looks like a classic Tarzan comic. And then you've got the jungle again, heavy shadow. There's a, an element of brutality to it. Uh, that the jungle needs to be a character, I think, in a Tarzan book as well. I mean, it's in the title, um, and and a real element of of menace. And uh, there's there that that menace comes partly, I think, in the the origin story with this kid growing up in the jungle, where you know just on the edge of danger amongst these creatures that aren't human and are very strong and 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 uh, could tear them apart at any time, but it. Uh, it all just works together. And then, you know, the, the older Tarzan, you know, he, he comes across as a real slightly more civilized, but, but that, you know, the, 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 the animalistic, the jungles just boiling below the surface. And he's just a really, a really formidable individual. A lot of it is the inks and, uh, and the colors, but uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic looking stuff. Uh, I, I just really enjoyed that first issue. Were you on it? No, it's uh, it's not really been my fandom. The whole sort of Tarzan stuff. I mean, I, I like Dan Jurgen certainly as a as a creator, but yeah, I remember you saying this is one of the titles that was you know it was going to be on your cull for you know minimizing down your pull list uh -huh. and stuff like that. So just give me issue one and we'll see. This is Dynamite's latest attempt to get you on board a <laughs> on board a series, but it would appear two, they have two succeeded. Recently, yeah. It would appear they've succeeded. Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting. Uh, it kind of mirrors what you said about Top Gun Maverick earlier on, relative to you know superhero movies. Mm -hmm. It's nice to see. It's nice to see a big budget movie that isn't a superhero movie. Yeah. It's nice to see a well done comic that isn't a superhero comic. You yeah. know that uh, that, and I mean Tarzan, Tarzan probably isn't too many people's fandom. It's but it, it's a he's a he's a. He's a stereotype. He's a stereotypical character, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a, a stereo archetypical character, uh, you know. That so many of of the the superheroes that we that we now see are 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 based on, you know, that and that yeah. individual. To some some extent, there's the Great White Hunter in there. Some extent, there's the you know, but uh, you know that that 
individual raised somewhere else and, and as, a, as a result of that difference and that different way of thinking whenever he returns to his own place uh, you know becomes something else so uh, I, I would highly recommend giving it a look um, even if, as you say if it's not your fandom it, I wouldn't even say it's my fandom it's just mm-hmm. it's just it's good storytelling and I mean we know we know Dan Jurgens. that's fair and it, it looks bloody good too <laughs> Well, it would appear Dynamite, as I say, have finally succeeded in getting you to have a title on your pull list from them. I do have one Dynamite title on my pull list as well from Shannon Marr called Saren's Gate. So I, oh, can't, yeah. I can't give you too much stick in that uh, in that mm-hmm. sense. That's just because it's that, an artist uh, I really like. That uh, Gargoyles book is a Dynamite book as well, Ooh, isn't it? Oh, two books in your pull. Jeez, mm-hmm. they've got mm-hmm. their got their claws in deep now. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of sticking claws in deep, I promise this will link seamlessly. Uh, <laughs> my next uh, pick for this month is Fantastic Four number one. So this is a relaunch for the Fantastic Four. Uh, we're just coming off Dan Slot's run. This is written by Ran North with art by Marvel's stalwart Iban Coelho. And, you know, first up a confession. I, I may have said a little bit about it in the intro, but I've never found a Fantastic Four run that has engaged me enough to see it all the way through. And it's not that Marvel's first family haven't had loads of great talent involved over the years, you know, Jonathan Hickman, Matt Fraction, Dan Slott, just to name a couple. But I just haven't found that run just yet. I did think Dan Slott's was going to be it, but I don't know, it just lost me somewhere along the way. But if the rest of this series lives up to the quality of this first issue, then they may have their hooks in me at long last. You see how that links perfectly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, for me this this is genuinely one of the best single issues of the year, and I went into this with no expectation whatsoever, uh, just completely clean slate. So, you know, I, I started doing a wee bit of research on it as well, and Rand North has actually gone on the record saying that after Dan Slott's large cosmic universe spanning run, he was interested in starting with small self-contained stories for each of the heroes. And Fantastic Four number one kicks off an absolute doozy, you know, as we follow the thing and his wife, Alicia. And the story itself that's set up here is straightforward enough. You know, the thing and Alicia are on a trip. They end up pulling up at a motel for the night. Some of the locals don't take kindly to Ben Grimm's appearance. You know, they you know, they're scared of him. They see him as a monster. They think they're protecting their own family by attempting to harm him. And they attempt to do this by driving a truck into their room, their motel room as they sleep. But the truck disappears into thin air. And despite all this noise and commotion, no one has any recollection of what happened the next day. So they take a little walk around the town and they only, only to find out they've somehow ended up in the middle of small town America in what is the 1940s. But not only that, but they're stuck reliving the same day over and over again. You know, so a mystery begins to try and figure out why this is happening and also how they can escape it and get back to their own time. You know, Knowing Fantastic Four was starting fresh from number one, I would never have guessed that the biggest titles influence in this would be Groundhog Day. But that's exactly <laughs> what we have here. You know, we have Ben getting to know the townspeople, even the ones who feared him in that opening stretch. They become really good friends. You know, Alicia shows how charming and thoughtful and uh, she can be. And you're reminded sort of over and over through the issue how just how much heart these characters bring to the Marvel Universe. You know, this this must be the definition of a Keith issue in terms of art, the clean line central of this series. Oh yeah, I mean Ivan Coelho can do no wrong. One of uh, one of Marvel's Stormbreakers of last year, wasn't it, I think, or the year before, I can't remember. And the work that he did on uh, on on Hickman's uh, Hickman's was it House or Powers, I can't remember which one he was on. That was Pepe Larazam um, one, wasn't it? And... Yeah, it was, yeah, absolutely no, absolutely fantastic. And you're exactly right when you talk about the heart. 
of the Marvel Universe because Ben is very much the heart of the heart of the Fantastic Four and to some extent the heart of the Marvel Universe. Well, as I say, that art, I just I couldn't help but think of you the whole way through. You know, it's vibrant and clean the whole way through. Great detailed expressions and plenty of humour to be found in the imagery as well. I mean, you know, to, to, to sink in the story at the start, there's obviously also repeating imagery with subtle differences as we're stuck in the time loop with the characters. You know, I, I actually read this issue out loud to Alfie, uh, who hung on my every word. Probably nothing to do with the story, of course, and the quality. But, uh, you know, I wondered at the start if the first few pages were mistakenly reprinted. Because the first three pages were the exact same, except for the third one of the three, which had a subtle difference. But the reason why this time loop has been created and where the story goes is so endearing and genuinely affecting by the end. You know, I don't want to go into too much detail. and I know we spoil things as we go, but I don't want to spoil it because I went into this issue completely clean. But some of the last few pages had me welling up a little. I mean, they actually reminded me of the opening. And again, this is a, an interesting influence of the opening of Up. Uh, the, the the Pixar movie, which mm-hmm. sort of shows a relationship through the years and the, the highs and the lows and so forth. But, yeah, you have that main story. So it works brilliantly as a one-shot in itself. But then at the end, we get a few pages added, which separate from the Ben Alicia story and go somewhat towards letting us know what the conflict is going to be for the series moving forward. Um, but, yeah, absolutely incredible first issue. Count me all in on this one. So they may have finally got me on the Fantastic Four title. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I I did enjoy Dan Slots. Uh, I did enjoy Hickman's. I did enjoy Fraction. You know what I mean? It's so I've I've been a I'm always always been a Fantastic Four fan. Uh, they are they are Marvel's first family, as you said. Um, I loved that Ryan North establishes the four rules of writing Marvel's first family uh, at the end of the in the in the uh, the. the the, the letters page sort of thing at the end mm-hmm. and one of the one of those rules is fantastic for our fun no angst having superpowers rules <laughs> uh you know and that's that's exactly right and i mean there's i don't know if you know this but there at no point in this story do we learn that 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 the that ben and, and alicia are trapped mm-hmm. in the time loop you know it's it's very possible that they could have left when they wanted to but they wanted to help yeah, because uh, they're, they're they're members of the Fantastic Four, you know, and it, it thing is, you know, he he is the as I said the heart of the the heart of the Fantastic Four, and you know those though, and he, he is you know despite the fact you know there's not supposed to be angst in the as as one of the rules states you know thing tends to be the angstiest member of the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. He's been turned into a monster, you know, and all of that. He but. You know, seeing him, you know, he's faded, hidden, feared, and then day after day, he's he's endearing himself to the townspeople. Uh, he's a great person. He's got a great heart. He's got a an awesome wife who's by his side and and works together with him. And you know, it's uh, yeah. I think I, I just thought it was a brilliant story, and I think he's doing something interesting here, and in that you know he's going to show us probably the different members of the Fantastic Four doing their thing. Just to remind us that, you know, as awesome as they are separately, they're even better when they're together. Yeah. You know, no, so as I say, it's, uh, it, it had me from the beginning. And it, there yeah. was something nice about it, as I say, reading it out loud. And, you know, I, I, I try to do it with Alfie a little bit where I'll read him some comics. And it's more obviously just so he's used to my voice and so forth. But he genuinely did not take his eyes off me the entire time I, I read it. So <laughs> you never know. There might be just 
subconsciously <laughs> a little Fantastic Four fan just bubbling away in there because of yeah. this. Uh, because of this, and issue. this would be uh, yeah, this would be a good start for 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 any Fantastic Four fan. Just great first issue, brilliant humor, brilliant heart, brilliant art, uh, and uh, yeah, definitely definitely looks like it's uh, the start of a promising run. Yeah. No, 100%. So, yeah, Fantastic Four number one being my second pick from November. And as I say, genuinely up there with some of the best single issues of the year. And why don't we just stick with the House of Ideas with your next pick? I believe we're sticking with Marvel. We are indeed. Uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier special number one uh, from Marvel, as you said, which was released on the 16th of November. It's written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, who, again, need no introduction in this parish. They've been doing a lot of good work. Uh, of late, uh, most notably on the Captain America Sentinel of Liberty book. Uh, the artist is Kev Walker, who's currently on Predator, but is also well known for Avengers, Doctor Strange, Thunderbolts, and last year's Timeless One Shot by Jed McKay, amongst many other things. Um, so yeah, Sentinel of Liberty is one of two Captain America books uh, out at the minute, the other being Symbol of, Symbol of Truth, Truth uh, Sam Wilson's book. And there's a lot going on in the uh, in the Steve Rogers Sentinel of Liberty book. Um, in issue six, Bucky and Steve came to blows over how best to deal with the outer circle, an organization which is dedicated to controlling the flow of history from the shadows. Uh, we've certainly seen uh, some of those before, but uh, this one looks particularly interesting. Steve sort of wanted to work slowly from the outside, you know, fighting the, the outer circle through sort of more legitimate means, whereas Bucky, on the other hand, wanted to use any and all means to destroy them after learning how they have manipulated him over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, with him being it was one of the points uh, of the star, uh, one of the one of the, the, the super soldiers or the, the instruments by which the, uh, the outer circle manipulate the world. And the issue ended with a shock as Bucky, having killed the outer circle's current... Uh, one of their current members, someone called the Revolution, took his place. Uh, and now this this one shot uh, allows us to find out how the secret group started and what Bucky means to do to it. Uh, the history of the Outer Circle is, is revealed as its newest members prepares to make his first move in the game. So, I mean, the, the Outer Circle, uh, we see at the start of the book, uh, you know, in the wake of, of World War One, the war to end all wars, a group of of powerful oligarchs uh, gather on a battlefield to craft a new game. It's a game that will have them influencing events from the shadows for decades to come. And each player, uh, isn't it power, money, machine, love, and revolution? Mm-hmm. Five points. The five players, uh, they'll make their moves, but there'll always be one who'll try and stop them. The revolution is always counter to the others. Uh, and in the, as, as we just said, the revolution is killed and there's a new one set to take its place. And that new revolution is Bucky Barnes. And uh, after he takes his place in the Outer Circle, he discovers that destroying the Outer Circle isn't going to be as easy as he hoped. Uh, he gets one of some interesting advice from one of the other players and he decides to play a new game, uh, one that's going to have him calling upon familiar faces connected to the group uh, to destroy the Outer Circle from within. I mean, the the story, the, the book was called Captain America and the Winter Soldier Special, but it doesn't, feature Captain America really at all nor to some extent does it feature the Winter Soldier because we're seeing him now in his new role, in his new role as, the, as the revolution um, so it's, it's very much a Bucky Barnes piece um, and it, it all seems to be moving towards uh, what we know is going to be called Cold War 
uh, later on in this this year because we see Bucky taking on his new role as Revolution, that new costume. We now understand what it's about uh, and so forth. So this is all this is all going to be linked uh, to to this uh, Captain America and Winter Soldier uh, special one shot. So from that respect, I would say if you're it's a it's a must in some ways. Um, so yeah, it focuses very much on Bucky and his new role as the Revolution, and it gives Lansing and Kelly the opportunity to effortlessly sort of write and connect the Outer Circle's origins uh, to the current Captain America book, the current uh, Sentinel of Liberty book, uh, and these origins, as we say, date back to the aftermath of World War One, seen very much in the first half of the issue, uh, right up to the present day. And then the the duo follow Bucky as he acts on his ulterior motives, uh, and then is schooled on how the outer circle works because his action doesn't really uh, doesn't really doesn't really work. Um, the the one shot reads very much like an extended piece of exposition connected to Sentinel of Liberty. There's probably no point in taking pick, picking up this one shot unless you're reading Sentinel of Liberty. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think it's essentially showing you justification for Bucky's actions in yeah. Sentinel of Liberty. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. And yeah, those actions were pretty shocking at the time, were they? Um it, it's an interlude, I think, after the that action sequence, and it's very much a major plot development. Um a lot of the exposition deals with the outer circle itself, uh, its history, who they are, what they are, who they're made up of, and the rest sets up machinations involving Bucky and Peggy Carter. Yeah, uh, and in this way, the story justifies the issues, the issues billing. I think as a as a special, um, uh, yeah, really, really, really strong supporting issue. Really necessary. Well, I think I think necessary to the to the arc. Definitely necessary for adding flavor and depth about about what's going to happen. Um, and a and a really enjoyable a really enjoyable uh, one shot. One of the one of the strongest issues I thought. I thought this month, and, and no less because of the, the fantastic Kev Walker art, beautifully detailed and dark and compelling through the whole issue, does a great job here. I mean, it's a it's largely an action-free issue, so all the work is very character-based, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is something that, uh, that that Kev Walker sort of, I, I think, excels at. And uh, uh, there's a lot of, there's, there's I think, four new characters created here, the other members of the of the outer circle. And they're all really interesting, uh, really interesting characters uh to 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 see. And uh yeah, I mean overall I just thought it's thought it's it, it was it was just a great, just a great uh one shot. Um arts, colours, storytelling all came together just to just to make a, a, a brilliant issue. That whole noir flavor which edges a little bit into the science fiction. Uh, I suppose. Um, I, I mean, it's a it's a hard thing. You're creating a you're creating a secret conspiratorial organization in a world where Shield and Hydra and Aim and Orcus are a thing, you know. But I think that you know, if, if anybody can do it, it's this. And uh, yeah, great. Uh, yeah, great, great choice to do this. I think in a special rather than in the in the core in the core book. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think Bucky sort of needed his own issue, didn't he? And the lack of Cap being in it. Sort of means it couldn't be a central liberty issue or a mm. symbol of truth. But no, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's <clears throat> this cap run is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So far, it's uh, we've said it before on the pod. We've said it in store. You know, it's it it 
very much echoes the tone of the Brubaker stuff, you know, the the world-traveling spy sort of stuff, the noir stuff, the work being done in the shadows, all that kind of stuff, and I think it just perfectly fits in with that. So, yeah, this wee special was uh, this wee special was great, I thought as well. So, and I do Brilliant. think I do think it's essential. I, I you know, as I say, you kind of need the justification for Bucky's actions, otherwise you'll look at him as more of a villain. You know what I mean? So Ooh. I think you, you definitely do need it in the context of the story. But it's just a really good wee one-shot as well. But yeah, if you're not on this cap run, we've said it before again, Symbol of Truth is fun and it's it's good, but this for me is a step above uh, in terms of... And that's, that's a lot of that's down to that great writing team, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. So mm-hmm. yeah, great, great stuff there. So a couple of Marvel titles for you there. So it's only fitting that we move <laughs> things on to DC. We can't have this becoming a Marvel loving. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah we are going to do that and not only is it going to be a dc loving it's going to be a batman loving so it is for normality is restored if you will uh yeah my next pick is batman one bad day mr freeze number one night these batman one bad day specials i think we've showcased nearly all of them on the podcast one way or another uh this one's written by jerry dugan uh, art by mario scalera and for me anyway i think this might be the best one shot so far in the one bad day series High praise indeed, you know, the, the the Riddler one was spectacular, you know, from Tom Keane and Mitch Dreads. But whereas that was a very dark and cynical to a degree, the reason Mr. Freeze edges it for me is because of one vital ingredient, hope, and to a degree, a happy ending. You know, the other reason this stood out for me, this I think this issue really felt like a long-lost episode of the animated series. You know, and given the regard I hold, you know, the Batman animated series, and I cannot stress enough just how high of a compliment that is. Uh, everyone on this creative team, from writing to art to colours and lettering, they're invoking the animated series, I think, and they knock it out of the park. It's it's an almost perfect one-shot where the story is wrapped up in a nice, neat bow by the end. But as a, as a sort of separate note as well, I think what's great about the One Bad Day series is that it can be set at any point in Batman's career. And what we have here is a seasoned Dark Knight with Dick Grayson as the boy wonder, always a positive. You know, I love Nightwing, but it's always great to see a Dick Grayson Robin story. Uh, and Alfred in proper parental advice mode. You know, this is possibly my favourite era of Batman's career before before maybe the sidekicks got too cluttered, there was too many of them and overwhelming, and, you know, simplicity reigns supreme. Grumpy Batman, optimism personified Robin, as it should be. But... Even the writer, I mean, Jerry Duggan, he's, he's more familiar to Marvel fans, I think, especially now as he spearheads the X-Men. But outside of a little-known miniseries called Arkham Manor, which came out nearly a decade ago, I think, no other DC work really comes to mind. But clearly he needs to write more Batman titles because he understands this world perfectly, you know, from from the dynamic between Batman and Robin to the usage of alter egos such as Matches Malone to the endlessly heartbreaking cycle of Victor Fries and Nora. He knows the history inside and out, and what we're left with here is an expertly paced, character-driven one-shot tale, but one that has plenty of action to go with the heart as well. You know, the art is phenomenal. Scalera has been a long-time favourite of mine, you know, ever since I was exposed to his work on Black Science. Uh, but he was made to, but he, his art is made to play in Gotham Sandbox, I think. His art is dynamic and fast-paced, but it's also emotive and affecting. He works perfectly with Dave Stewart on colours and Darren Bennett on lettering. 
to produce, I think, one of the best-looking titles from any company on the racks, and a very timely one as well. This is a perfect one, you know, for the, the festive period, if you will. But yeah, when I say it's like an episode of the animated series, it's clearly an unofficial sequel to the phenomenal Heart of Ice and all but name. You know, Mr. Freeze is not painted merely as a criminal psychopath by any means, and even he can find a way of doing the right thing, even if the journey to that right thing is full of some dark twists and turns along the way. So, yeah, I thought this was absolutely essential. Comic Book Fair, I think it's the best, as I say, of the One Bad Day series. And more importantly, I think it justifies its $7.99 price point because it's always a worry when you go for the higher-priced issues. Yes, you have nice paper quality. Yes, you've got square bound. But the title itself needs to live up to expectations, and I think this one really does. So I think we talked about it a little bit in store. I think you still slightly favour the Riddler one. Yeah, I would do. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a big Jerry Duggan fan. And it's actually, it's been ages since I think Jerry Duggan has write, written a DC book, isn't it? Yeah, so that's what nice I mean. To, yeah, yeah 100%. Um, Too busy in yeah, playing in the X-Universe. Exactly, <laughs> he is. He's a very busy man. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, I I thought the I thought the Riddler one does just, just does edge it. I think the uh, as you say, there's very much this feels like a like a grown up uh, Batman the animated series tale in a different way from uh, from the Murphy verse, uh, I would say. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Dugan sort of really pulls in the heartstrings with this one. A lot of uh, emotional overtones, uh, both the, the relationship between uh victor and nora and you know while there's love there we're seeing it from a slightly different point of view than maybe we've ever seen it before there's a there's a real disconnect in their relationship um whenever they're they're still together and and even more so whenever she's frozen and he's mostly making it up in his head and uh you know the the emotional tones between dick and bruce you know dick being overly optimistic you know, coming through the mess of this life, uh, it's yeah, it's 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 really it's really cool stuff. Uh, I did really enjoy it. The 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 uh, the Riddler one maybe edges it for me a wee bit, but uh, Victor Freeze is a is an awesome character, uh, a really cool, really cool Batman villain, one of the best. Um, maybe yeah, there's a there was definitely a wee sinister side to him here than maybe little a little more than you than you sometimes see with. With Mister Freeze, mm-hmm. uh, just the, the that manipulate the way he's almost manipulating the whole situation with his frozen wife and her illness, and you know, in order to make him what he is, it's it's a real it's it's kind of yeah, just just different and and maybe just a wee bit more insidious than 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 ever. Um, but yeah, great great dialogue between Batman and Robin here, uh, the original Robin, yeah. Um, as you said, and uh, yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, it was it was it was. It's always good to see Dick in that in that role. Um, yeah, as I said, there there seems to be somewhat of a slight return to it at the moment as well because you've got Dick Grayson uh, era Robin and Batman Superman World's Finest. Now you're getting it here as well. I mean, I I do wonder if there's maybe a little bit of a little bit of a thirst to go back to that simplicity because, as I say, when you start going down the history of Batman and then you have. Dick Grayson, then you have Jason Todd, then you have Tim Drake, then you have Stephanie Phillips, then you have, you know, it, it starts building up and then you've got Carrie Kelly and then you've got Damian Wayne and, you know, the, the role of Robin has been filled in many, many different ways and, and don't get me wrong, it's fantastic that Dick Grayson grows up and becomes Nightwing and stay tuned more on that later, but 
I just love the simplicity of that. You know, it's the grumpy Batman, but it's the kid who's just so excited to be a superhero, mm-hmm. is so athletic, so gymnastic based, and just loves being a superhero. And uh, I, I just love that dynamic. So more of it, the better, please. So when you get one shots like this, it, I think it's a real, a real treat. Uh, there's still a few more, a few more to come out. The penguin one was great. I enjoyed it. Um, but I uh, just mentioned on the, uh, the, the, the grown up updated animates, animated series. Look, I don't think we ever had the chance to, uh, to voice our respects at the, the, the loss of Kevin Conroy uh, a few weeks back. Uh, Worth, uh, worth mentioning the the man who voiced uh, famously voiced many many things but voiced the uh, the Batman and Bruce Wayne of the animated series who was lost to us sadly way too soon way too soon you know his his voice will always be synonymous with the character of course through the animated series but reached a whole new audience through the Arkham games and you know for all intents and purposes I don't think anyone ever had a bad word to say about him either personally or professionally as well so uh, definitely a big loss they they did announce that. There is a Rocksteady game still to come out, which is Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. And uh, he managed to record one last performance for that. So his work will live on forever. Uh, but yes, definitely uh, RIP to one of the greats right there. Uh, but yeah, that is Batman One Bad Day, Mr. Free. So that was my third pick. What is your third pick? Uh, so we're swinging from the big two into uh, Image. Uh, for Philadelphia number 25, which was a 30th of November release. The writer was friend of the podcast, Rodney Barnes, who we interviewed uh, some time ago now uh, about this very book. Uh, the artist, uh, well, actually, layouts uh, were done by the series artist, Jean, Jason Sean Alexander, who we've also interviewed, but the actual penciling was done by uh, German Era Mosby. Uh, probably butchered that name. Uh, not uh, an artist I'm, I'm familiar with, but uh, but there was a, I think I think uh, Jason will be doing the the layouts on this new arc mm-hmm. rather than the rather than the the whole series. But something that something that frightened me to see. But by the end of the issue, I was set at ease. <laughs> um, so yeah, twenty five issues into Philadelphia, it's been uh, it's been over two years in the in the making, and this I mean this really is the premier the premier horror book on the stands, I would say, but. I mean, it's much, much more than that, uh, I would say, too. Um, this issue is the start of a New York, and uh, I think it probably makes uh, a fairly good uh, jumping on point. Um, the issue's tale is told, uh, you know, across multiple narratives um, from the perspective of a, a handful of our major players. Um, and as I say, it is a, it is a good jumping on point because it is the start of a New York. Uh, the issue gives a very sort of, I suppose, streamlined recap of events that's led to the war that the story is currently focused on. Uh, but all the while, it's sort of making me wonder just how long we've got left in this book, as it certainly seems as we're we're pushing towards some kind of, of, of end game, don't yeah, you think? it feels that way. feels that way. Yeah. I kind of wonder, a lot of series are sort of ending around the 30-ish issue mark, so I kind of wonder mm. if this will be another. Can you remember, did uh, did Rodney give us any indication whenever we talked? No, he just said that they were obviously expanding the Philadelphia universe out. So obviously one of those titles was Nita Hawes' Nightmare Blog. Uh, but I think they're doing some stuff through uh, Substack as well and expanding the Philadelphia mm-hmm. universe. So maybe it's just the main title will come to an end, but maybe develop the universe elsewhere. Well, let's see what happens. Um, I mean, that's, uh, we don't know. It just, it just has that feeling. But anyway, I say multiple narratives and we start. We start with a conversation between the demon Corson 
and the uh, the trickster god uh, Anansi as they try to negotiate an ending for this war that seems set to end in the utter destruction of humanity, something that would result in, uh, I guess, a major status quo change for both uh, Corson and Anansi, because what is a god or a demon whenever there is no one to worship or sacrifice for them? Um, we get another perspective from a detective and vampire, Jim Sangster, uh, who is on the streets and actually fighting in the war, as he reflects on how this whole mess started his life and uh, I guess the nature of love and of hope. And we also check in with uh, his son, uh, Jim Jr. Um, or Sangster Jr. Uh, waiting at home with his pregnant girlfriend, cured of his uh, potential vampirism uh, and worrying, wishing for more time with his father. And it's it's through these three perspectives we saw, we, we see not just the battle, but but what is is actually at stake and with with Rodney Barnes at the helm and as with any good story you know it's not just about the story being told but it's about the the the, the elements of truth that are contained in there and this the central truth here is that humanity humanity may be beyond saving or if not beyond saving may simply have reached its expiration date um Corson and Anansi go back and forth as to as to why they should stop this and save humanity Corson pointing out that humans are already doing the things that that he wants them to do without him the demon having to lift a finger we've lost our, our humanity we've lost our empathy we've lost our basic decency we've lost our hope and for Corson this war is nearly a chance to sort of cleanse the demonic palate as it were uh, you know because humanity was a mistake and at the same time through Detective Sangster's narrative, we see very much the same thing that humanity has become cold and bitter. We've lost hope and empathy. But, you know, there's also, we see the sparks of, of, of hope as he reveals that he's learned through, through his own death and through vampirism, he's learned what it is to be human and he's learned to love even in all this darkness. You know, a man who wasn't able to be there for his son whenever he was alive has been more there you know, in his in his own his own living, his his own death. You know, and uh, as I said, I mean, the best of stories aren't just stories; they're 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 truthful elements. They're they're mirrors that we can hold up to ourselves to to reveal our own our own truths. You know, and in in that respect, I think Philadelphia has just been an incredibly good story, but. But I think this is maybe one of the best issues of this book so far. And it's, it's, I suppose it's nice that it's the 25th issue, which, um, you know, has always been a significant number in comics. Um, you know, it furthers the story, furthers the supernatural battle. And, you know, for Philadelphia and for, on that bigger scale, for humanity itself, which is what we see here with Corson and, and, and Nancy. Uh, puts all our characters in a position for big, violent changes. We've got the the founding fathers of America. We've African gods. We've demons. We have historically oppressed vampires all fighting themselves embroiled, embroiled in a in a in a fight for the soul of America and the soul of of humanity itself. Uh, whether whether that's a place they want to be or not, as I said, best horror comic in the stands right now. It's it's been systematically revealing you know the horror story that 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 makes up American history as is and uh it's clear from this new york there's still there's still a lot of darkness to reveal um as i said it was a wee bit 
frightened to see Jason Sean Alexander stepping back as as penciler and sticking to layouts this time around. Um, Jermaine Era must be is an Argentinian Argentinian artist who's taken over the duties along with a new colorid, colorist, uh, Lee Lockridge. Uh, and uh, as I say, while it was a wee bit frightening, because I mean, Jason Sean Alexander's art is so synonymous with this book, uh, so multi layered and textured, uh, t- uh, totally integral to Philadelphia's identity, especially on the on that sort of visceral, vicious side. Um, it wasn't too long before I was starting to feel okay about it. Uh, in fact, the, this new artist sort of dispelled my doubts fairly swiftly. Um, great character work, um, especially in terms of, you know, expressions uh, and the, the projection of drama and terror and fright and cruelty uh, through those nuanced sort of faces. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely feeling okay about, uh, about, about what's to come. And, uh, Lee Lockridge sticks very close to uh, Lewis NCT's sort of palettes, uh, you know, which sort of are, are sort of evoke that rough sort of nineteen seventies sort of cinematic style. Um, so yeah, I uh, yeah, I think I think I think Philadelphia twenty five is maybe is maybe one of the strongest issues of the series. Uh, it's a great issue in its own right. It's a, a good jumping on point if you can say such a thing about uh, a story that is this this deep and this far in. Um, and if you if you haven't been on it, I don't know who I don't know what you've been doing because it's one we never stop talking about. Yeah, we've been pretty much singing its praises since issue one really and then obviously getting the chat to to rodney and to jason just give that extra level as well but i do wonder if based on sort of the symmetry of uh, book designs and so forth i wonder if this will end at 36 because a hardcover just got released which was issues one to 12 and therefore that'll make three lovely hardcovers if they're going to the robert kirkman school of comic releasing and knowing uh comic numbers and editions you can then pump out down the line 36 would be the way to go but but uh yeah no if, if you're new to philadelphia you know the first trade's only nine quid you know it's the first six issues can't recommend it highly enough as as keith says it works on multiple levels but it is at its base level just a really kick-ass horror book as well but obviously there's there's more depth to it than that so uh yeah i mean it's, it's a weird thing to say it's a jumping on point as you say it's it's nice to bring people up to speed but you almost deserve the depth of those 24 issues before it rather than getting the truncated three-page version, so to say, you know. Mm. But no, the, the, the title's as strong as ever. It? Yeah, the title's as strong as ever, you know. That, yeah. That's the thing. It, it's always it's always one of those ones that goes towards the top of my pile, to be honest, because it's a creative team you trust. It's a world mm-hmm. that you enjoy going into and uh, there's never an issue that disappoints. So, yeah, really, really enjoyed number 25 as well. So And really enjoyed Nita Hall's Nightmare blog as well. Yeah. There's... And uh, Anansi is the is the the link between the two really well. I mean, obviously the link is that uh, is Nita Hawes is uh, is Sangster Junior's ex mm. uh, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, Anans Anansi, the Spider God is is the the Trickster God is the is the link I think between those two because he's appeared quite a lot in that book too. Yeah. Mm, oh well, yeah. Uh, Good choice, Philadelphia Twenty Five, and as you say, it's it's always nice sometimes to spotlight a series that already is a little deeper and a little further along, and just remind people of you know the fact that it is still of a really really high quality and worth jumping into if it's one that you have somehow missed at this point. 
So yeah, Philadelphia 25. And speaking of titles that we don't talk enough about and <laughs> maybe just remind you a little bit of how good it is because we can't pick every single issue for reviews month, although we do try. Uh, my last choice, I'm once again sticking to DC, once again sticking to the Bat Universe, but it's no longer a Dick Grayson Robin, it's an all-grown-up Dick Grayson in Nightwing, and it was the Nightwing 2022 Annual. Now, annuals are always a funny thing for me. There's times you get them and they are integral to the story, they are brilliantly produced, and, you know, as I say, absolutely essential. Detective Comics was another one this month, which was very good, primarily because it was written by Ram and had Raphael Albuquerque working on art. With Nightwing 2022 annual, there's three stories in here. One is written by Tom Taylor uh, and art by Eduardo Panseca, who does art on two of the stories. We have a couple of other writers in here, so maybe slight alarm bells start ringing and you're thinking, how much is Tom Taylor involved with this and how much does this link to the main run? But as ever, if that man's name is on a comic, you need never worry. So, as I say, just to kick things off, because I feel like we don't talk about Nightwing enough, <laughs> it once again delivers a pitch-perfect example of how to use the annual format. Because this annual, what's great about it is it will both engage existing readers, but it'll also help to draw in new readers into the tone of this series and not, not make them feel lost in the narrative. So... As I say, the annual, it's broken into three parts. So the first part is arguably the most important part in terms of linking to the main run at the moment. So we have Tom Taylor written, Eduardo Panseca drawn, deep dive into the roots and origins of a character called Heartless, which is one of the big, one of the new big bads from the current series, you know, created by Tom Taylor along the way. So this is followed up by two one-shot tales, one of which is Living a Day in the Life of Healy, Dick and Bab's Faithful Dog, while the other one, uh, the other one shot, it deals with Dick teaching Jonathan Kent Superman how to best utilize his powers while not endangering anybody with his sheer power and sheer force. Basically, a, a tale all about restraint. You know, when it comes to the first story, for me, Tom Taylor has always been a writer who can be by turns playful and hopeful, but he can be dark and affected. He can do a little bit of both, and this first tale definitely falls under the purview of dark and oftentimes disturbing presented story of how heartless came to be and more importantly when it comes to that darkness of those who have helped him along the way you know this this, this one shot story it's almost like a dark mirror image of batman you know and the story of batman and alfred but taken in a completely different completely different way but it's that sort of role of a surrogate father shall we say taken on that sort of helps influence his choices and takes him where he, where he needs to be but yeah suffice to say if we didn't know already but heartless appears to be quite the formidable foe for dick and i'm already looking forward to the future issues with more of that character in there after that we have bitewing year one now if you are going to use year one title in a story in the dc universe then it better be good <laughs> luckily enough this one is is just a lot of fun you know we essentially get to see a day in the life of Haley. And it's every bit as light and fun as you'd expect. Uh, Panseco once again handles art duties. You know, it's a bit of a shame not to have Bruno Redondo on here, but, you know, he very rarely steps away from the main series, keeps up that high-quality work, and Eduardo Panseco is a more than capable... I wouldn't even call him a stand-in. He has a great style here. Again, nice clean lines, nice and easy to follow, and uh, keeps everything flowing well. I also think the placement of this one in the three stories and in terms of the, the running order of the comic is very important because after the darkness of the previous tale, you now have a, now have a nice lightness of touch, which was maybe just needed. 
Uh, so that was the second story, and then the third one we finish off a different with a different facet of Dick's character, that of Dick Grayson, the leader. You know, the leader of the Titans. People, someone people come to for advice, and this story basically is based around Jonathan Kent, Superman, coming to him for advice. And the thing is, throughout his tenure as Superman, they've always pushed this friendship to the forefront. You know, Nightwing's appeared in Superman, Son of Kal-El. Jonathan's appeared in Nightwing. Uh, so this plea for help, you know, and this plea for the help be taught restraint feels earned and natural, I think. So, yeah, just another really great one-shot uh, story dealing with a different um, part of Dick Grayson's personality and of his character. The The... The definite high point of the annual for me is the stuff to do with Heartless, just because it links to the main run. But the other two stories are definitely no slouch as well. So a perfect uh, illustration, as I say, of how to utilize the annual format. And uh, once again, Nightwing just steals the show as a DC title. So, yeah, no doubt you love this probably just as much as I did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely did. Um, as you say, I think, the, you know, because the the that first story... Um, you know, is by the the, the the series creative team and is about the origin the villain of that story. It was probably the most important in a way. You know, that's that's sort of what, what brings you to it whenever you have those compilation of stories. Uh the Haley story was 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 really was really cool. Um also the fact that it highlighted what horn dogs uh Dick and Barbara are as well <laughs> uh was quite hilarious. Um and yeah, I love that. I love that partnership between or that that mentorship role that that, that Nightwing takes with a much much more powerful individual in John Kent. Uh, you know, I just I thought it was just anything that involves those two mm-hmm. um, really is, is just is just fantastic. It's usually really pulls on the heartstrings as well. Uh, I think it's it's yeah. It's just and it, it just it, it harks me back to, you know, Kaliel leaving, asking Dick to look after John, because he trusts him more than he trusts anybody else in the DC universe. Yeah. Um. So in some ways, you know, I maybe ended up liking that last story more than, more than the first, mm-hmm. which brought me to the book in the first place. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, very very cool. As I say, it's just it's always nice when annuals add something to the you know the current ongoing run you know when you see different creators involved and you know alarm bells start ringing is this just a quick cash grab you know can the main creators not be bothered being involved in the annual because they're too busy with their run but no again this was just a perfect illustration of how you utilize that format to the to the fullest so yeah definite standout for me in the month of november and that was the nightwing 2022 annual so why don't you bring us home then with one last pick from the month of november Yes, sir. Um, this uh, choice, my last choice, is also from Image and also from the 30th of November. Uh, and that is Stillwater number 16 by Chip Zdarsky and Ramon K. Perez. Um, we're coming fairly close to the end of Stillwater now. An end is on the horizon uh, for this story. Yeah, only two more issues remaining. Uh, but, I mean, where. Where where Dan Jurgens went back to the start uh, with the uh, with the, uh, the the Lord of the Jungle story again. Sometimes before you can reach the end of a story, uh, it can sometimes prove to be useful to go back to the very very beginning, and that's what issue sixteen of Stillwater, uh, which is this um, immortal human horror story, does, uh, and it uh, it uh, introduces us finally to the cause of the immortality that plagues. Uh, the uh, the 
the citizens of, of, of Stillwater and very well could provide an end uh, to the to the whole lot. Um, so the story mostly diverts from the the ongoing story set in Stillwater and now Coldwater uh, to reveal the origin of the town's immortality. It's set in 1842, which is Civil War time. And Civil War is always a it's always a really interesting time in, in American history because it, it it bookends the Wild West, you know, the cowboy times, but it's it's set before modern America. Uh, the industrial um, times. You know, was, yeah, exactly. So there's there's almost a, a magic. I mean, obviously there's never a magic to war, but there's a, a mythology around that time that, that this sort of fits really well in. There's a, a lack of records that make it almost... I don't know. There's a, an, an imaginariness to it, but Clara is a is a main character in uh, in the Stillwater book, and we uh, we find her now uh, unexpectedly and surprisingly in 1842, where she gives birth to triplets, uh, where only two survive, uh, who who uh, grow up into Civil War era America. One son goes off to fight, while the other stays at home uh, with uh, with with Clara and her husband offering. You know, and Clara at this point is, is uh, as an artist, she's, she's drawing maps for the Union Army. And uh, the, the war starts off far away, but quickly comes to, to 1842 Stillwater, and the other son is lost. And uh, in a moment of weakness, uh, Clara evokes the the stillborn son's name. Now, this, this is it's significant because the, the family are... Are, are are Christian and, and and sort of almost fundamentalist and and uh, Clara has been has been holding this the stillbirth of this child to herself for for years and years and when she evokes the name of Spectre you know a ghost appears and offers her a chance to stop the suffering for her remaining son uh, and and doing so she creates the curse of immortality that infects the town. Uh, you know Clara finishes the map of Stillwater using her blood. And the border for for immortality is set, and in doing so, she creates perpetual war because, you know, the the two the two armies of the, the sorry my my poodle's going a wee bit mad here. I don't know what she's doing. Uh, the two the two armies have are, have come to Stillwater, and and are now fighting perpetually, being being injured and killed and resurrected by the by the the uh, the curse that that Clara has set. So. As we move on, Clara is is deemed a witch for this and is buried. Uh, you know, as the soldiers are trapped in a cycle of violence, and you know she 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 buried. She watches her last son is stabbed, and uh, and once she is put underground, she dies. And it takes one hundred and twenty years for Clara, or sorry, not she dies, he dies. It takes one hundred twenty years for Clara to claw her way out, bringing her immortality back with her. Whenever she was buried, it seems that the, the curse was broken. But whenever she claws her way to the surface, uh, this time in 1985, uh, history repeats itself with the town once again losing its its ability to die. And then we find ourselves in the present day where uh, the current mayor, the child, Galen, gets wind that someone has died in the borders of the town. And, and that accelerates us into the last few issues uh, as he plans to kill Daniel and Laura and now Clara as well. Just a, a, a great story, uh, really intriguing how the whole, you know, the burying thing comes around full circle because obviously putting people in a hole is the, 
as the punishment for disobeying the rules of Stillwater in the modern day, but we find that putting someone in a hole was the reason that the curse was putting mm. Clara in the hole was the reason that the the curse was broken in the first place, and now it hasn't you know then came back whenever she came out of her grave. Um, yeah, just really, uh, just a just a brilliant, brilliant story. It has been a brilliant story. Um, you know, it's a really creepy. Chip's script is just really you know brings a tragic tragedy to the whole thing. You know, the idea of 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 immortality and not being able to the horror of immortality and the stagnation. I think that it you know that it creates here um, has been a has been the uh, the crux of the whole thing, and it's just you know those immortal children are just the creepiest thing. Uh, I think in this whole book, um, you know, and I think uh, Ramon Perez gets gets to play a little differently uh, this issue as well. Um, there's a lot of body horror in uh, in Stillwater, and while that's still there, there's something slightly different here, you know, in this in this Civil War era. Um, but it's just it just it's a, it's a really amazing looking book. Um, it's 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 a revelation that Clara turns out to be much more important, much older than we assumed, and uh, I've been thrown right back into the <clears throat> the eighteen sixties in this story, um, and 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 the you know finding the reason now for uh, for that immortality, um, and I mean. I suppose there always there always were going to be some sort of supernatural elements to the to the curse, you know, to the, to to what it was that that, um, that made Stillwater immortal, um, but it's still very much horror centered, you know the 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 tragic story of 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 Clara and her son's loss and how that tragedy spreads. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I I I thought it was fantastic. I think you know. Perez's art really adds to the horror vibe here. Um, uh, yeah, good, uh, good, good issue. I think. What did you reckon yourself? Yeah, it really plays on the whole fears of being buried alive, doesn't it? I mean, imagine being <laughs> down there for 140 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's the point of being buried for 10 minutes? Yeah, you kind of wonder if uh, how Clara actually has any rational thoughts left in her head, because surely 140 years in the dirt would just turn your brain to absolute mush. I would think, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, no, well. it's 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 nice that they came up with a reason for the immortality. Because sometimes with high concept stuff, it's just a case of this is the concept, just accept it. We don't necessarily explain it, if you know what I mean. But this has been a very strong, smart series the whole way through. It's been full of really cool twists and turns as well. As you say, the the characters of the children in it, for better or for worse, are fantastic characters because they are. Excuse my French, horrible little shits, uh, <laughs> to say the least. But it also makes sense as well because the whole, like, I love the whole idea of immortality. But whenever the curse is activated, so to speak, that's the age you stay. So some people got it luckier and better than others because they're younger, their bones work in every way they should be. They're full of energy. Some people are trapped in old bodies. You know what I mean? So it's it creates loads of interesting stories. I thought and. Yeah, in a way, I'm a bit a bit sad to see this series coming to an end. But at the same time, you know, all good stories must come to an end. And I think Chip's yeah. ending it real. Chip and Ramon are ending it really, really strongly so far. So, isn't it? Uh, isn't it funny that a story about immortals has a finite ending? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's. Uh, I thought it was cool as well. It, it sort of played across the three time periods. There was the the 1860s. There was the 80s. Mm-hmm. Where we see, you know. 
and uh, the transition between those, you know, so Perez has the, there's the three panels of her being buried alive. Uh, you know, we see her son, you know, being, yeah. being, being killed as she's been covered over and her vision gets less and less. And then, um, you know, obviously she, she creeps, she, she claws her way out in the eighties and, uh, in the eighties, then we have her, her, you know, trying to cover her tracks, you know, so she burns down the library to try and erase the records of who she was uh, and who she is and, you know, that sort of thing. And then we have the, the third time period, which is our current, mm-hmm. our current time period. So it's, it's, it's definitely a, you know, I love the, the shift in art, you know, the, the art in 1863 definitely had a wee bit of an old timey sort of a feel to it mm-hmm. uh, compared to the eighties or the, or the modern, you know, the, uh, I suppose it's, is it Mike Spicer on Mike colors Spicer here? Colors, yeah, works um, works a lot with Daniel Warren Johnson as well. Very good colors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he was on Mike Spicer was also on. Uh, uh, was also, I think maybe I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I mean the 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 eighteen sixties have a lot of those sort of sepia tones, you know, that you're used to seeing mm-hmm. those sort of Civil War photographs, and you know, muted colors, and then. You know, the 80s is more vibrant and poppy and it's it's uh, very well done. Very well done. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to play catch-up on Stillwater, first two trades are available. Uh, I did place the previews order today, which is for February releases, and uh, Volume 3 was in that. So you'll not have to wait too long for the concluding chapter if you do jump onto it in trades if you're not on it through the the single issues so so yeah Stillwater number 16 very good choice uh, to finish off so yeah that is our little sojourn through November coming to a close of course there are other great titles beyond those but those are definitely the the eight between the two of us that really stuck out for us so as ever if anything appeals to you, anything caught your attention we've been chatting about just get in touch with the store Probably not through Facebook at the moment, but get in touch with the store and we can, uh, you know, give you advice, as I say, on, on what the best way to catch up in these tales are or whether it's worth waiting for trade or whether we we can source single issues for you. But, uh, yeah, just get in touch and we'll always, you know, get you sorted. So, as ever, hope you guys enjoyed this. It was always a pleasure chatting through the month with uh, Mr. Miller. Makes me want to go and read some comics. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be getting back to uh, my Sandman Volume 3 and I'll maybe... I'll maybe get in tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, then Saturday to pick up my uh, pick up my pools. Yeah, it's just coming Saturday when I'm there. That'd be better. Perfect. Uh, I've got a, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of running about the country tomorrow, helping a friend out, uh, picking 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 stored stuff up and dropping it to a house and removing stuff that she's stored in our house. And mm-hmm. so, so I'm hoping the weather isn't too inclement. Well, here's hoping. But uh, yeah, as I say, pleasure ever chatting away, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this, and I hope you uh, found a, your new favorite title. But uh, yeah, until next time, uh, we'll just, we'll call it a day there. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.